Drunk Dish contains adult language that may not be appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. and I don't get it. <laughs> it's all magic. Yeah. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> hello and welcome to Drunk Dish, where three delicious dishes explore food history and get pickled in the process. This is episode 38, where we will be discussing the early cultivation of corn and why white people in America owe their very existence to it. <laughs> I'm Melissa. <laughs> I'm Kate. And I'm Amy. <laughs> we did it. We did. We did Congratulations. It. Yay. <laughs> um, so now that we've introduced ourselves every episode, Kate likes to ask us one food-related question. Kate, what is our question? Okay. So we're uh, we're heading back into this uh, this crazy pandemic situation that uh, had a little bit of a, a lull, I guess, and now back it's, into it. Well, I mean, it's like. <laughs> We never left. He can. <laughs> some people some think states, it left and came back. Some states kind right? of did um, okay, and then we fucked ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Anyways. Not in anyway. the fun way. Um, no. <laughs> so with the holidays quickly approaching, um, I was thinking about um, if we're if, – if we're sort of looking at alternative – holiday celebrations and i mean i don't think that we really necessarily celebrate thanksgiving the way a lot of people do right we're not really well that was loud uh we don't really have the whole traditional thing that a lot of people do but um if this year is going to affect like what you're cooking or how you're preparing things or um i guess the the idea of this question was I've seen some crazy good looking menu options um, that I would never make if I was cooking for 20 people or people who are normally used to the things that I normally prepare for Thanksgiving. So I was like, oh, my gosh, I could try that and I could try that. It's just going to be me and my husband or it's going to be me and my sister and her husband and my husband. Um, So it's going to be a very (laughs) sort of intimate and uh, smaller situation where maybe you're a little bit freer to try things that you would never try in the past. Um, So. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the the idea of the question. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so basically do we feel unburdened by yeah. family expectations and want to do something different this year? Yeah, like the wheels are off, right? Like you could just try anything. Yeah, unfortunately I'm not unburdened. <laughs> um, normally my husband and I don't do anything for Thanksgiving unless we do Friendsgiving, but that's usually later. Right. And not on Thanksgiving. Right. Um, but usually we keep it low key because every year for the past like 15 years, I've worked in either retail or nonprofit. So the nonprofits are still going Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend. So you don't get time off. And then, of course, retail, we have Black Friday weekend. So mm-hmm. I didn't normally do Thanksgiving. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, 
This year, unfortunately, Thanksgiving this year falls on my late aunt's birthday. Uh-huh. Um, it'll it's been uh, just over. It's been about a year and a half since her passing. So my cousin is very raw and was going to be by herself on Thanksgiving. So I'm actually going to go up there. Um, so I'll be near Amy. <laughs> so will there be, will you guys be doing a sort of a Thanksgiving traditional meal or would you, where, will you be doing something? I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen. I know the next day, cause I'll be staying there. I know the next day we are going out into their woods on their massive amount of land and we're cutting down a Christmas tree. Oh, that's nice. So that we'll be nice. doing that. Um, I mean, I'll make a pie or something. My my husband did just get me uh, a book all about pies. Mm-hmm. I saw that it was that your I've, I've uh, been your mm-hmm. your reading material for bedtime. <laughs> I've been studying it. It's amazing. It's actually taught me a lot of stuff that I would have never even thought of, like basically using puff pastry for pie crust. Oh, like yeah, yeah. No, oh. it's a thing. It's a revelation. What? But, um, <laughs> What it basically does, I wish I could remember the woman's name. It just came out. It's called The Book of Pie. Her name's Erin something, something. That should be enough if you want to find it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she basically builds it so that you can mix and match. So she gives you all these different pie crust recipes, all these different filling recipes, all these different toppings recipes. And she mm. does have recipes in the book where she's like, I recommend this crust. And mm-hmm. this topping for this filling. But like she makes it so you can basically just like build your own. Wow. Which I think is really, really cool. Um, So I am for holiday time kind of planning on doing some of that kind of uh, stretching out um, on pies. Because for pies, I've really I mean, I, I've made, you know, I make pumpkin pie all the time. I've made apple pie. Um, I made one cherry pie that I didn't even get to try. So I don't know if it was good or not. My stepdad <laughs> said it was very delicious. Well, that's. Um, you wouldn't have lied. So there's that. Um, so I'm definitely going to be doing that for the holidays. Like uh, um, I'm making a strawberry pie tomorrow for my boss because her birthday is Monday. Oh, hi, um, Jess. Happy birthday. <laughs> um, and I have to go into work on Monday because it's a whole thing. But um, mm. so I'll definitely be like stretching out in that way. I know that my husband had wanted to do a roast chicken originally when I was going to be home for Thanksgiving. So I think that we'll probably be doing that. Mm-hmm. for like christmas or what have you he did tell me i could get a bottle of dom if i wanted to what yeah yeah fancy so. wow yeah hubster fancy My right goodness. um so i think that's probably the farthest i'm going to be stretching out of the norm i think thanksgiving in general is going to be a little weird yeah yeah for sure um just in general and like you know don't be getting on planes and stuff, people, please. Yeah, don't. Don't no, do that. Just, no. Please. But so, so yeah, anyways, that's my my answer, basically, is that I'm going to try some new pies, but otherwise there aren't really any grand plans. So I, mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a follow up uh, question. Um, is there also a recipe for this puff pastry in her book or is she suggesting using um, store bought? puff pastry no so um she te- in the book she talks about rough puff which i knew how to make is just a laminated dough so it's basically making a regular pie dough um but instead of just rolling it out you roll it out and fold it on top of each other a couple times just to get that lamination oh, and for oh. the she has like a like kind of in between a rough puff and a regular pie so it's only folded i think like two or three times mm-hmm. but that gives it like really really flaky 
layers. Nice. Nice. Yeah. So it's a great book. I highly recommend it. I've I've never taken a cookbook to bed before <laughs> until now. So nice. And sexier yeah. words have never been said. <laughs> yeah. And if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I had very grand ideas about uh about my pie baking skills. Becoming immediately. a pie meister. Yeah, I'm going to become an expert. All my friends and family are going to ask me to make pies for the holidays and special occasions. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to open a pie shop. I had a dream last night that I opened a shop that sold pies and donuts. That's all it sold was pies and donuts. And it was called Pie Nut. I love it. (laughs) That's perfect. So turn that into a bar at night. Boom. We've got my my Mm -hmm. million dollar idea. Brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. Love it. Yeah, Amy. I, uh, I th- so for those of you who don't know, um, last year was the first year I've been like back in my hometown for Thanksgiving. Um, I have lived not super far away, but I've I have not like really been one to be home for the holidays. Um, for, like the <laughs> the audience can't see the the eyes that Amy was yeah. giving us, but. <laughs> So, um, which it's, there's, there's, uh, pros and cons to that, but I now live in the town that I grew up in, um, that my husband grew up in, that both of our families live in. And through the pandemic, we have been in one another's bubbles. So like, you know, a safe little Mm -hmm. pot of people Mm -hmm. where we, we know where they go and they know where we go and Mm -hmm. all that jazz. So I, I am hosting a small Thanksgiving get together. Um, for my immediate family and then my in-laws, um, I don't know if my, like my parents probably aren't going to be coming. Um, and my brother might not be coming, um, because my brother is a little bit more out in the public. So we're gauging safety Mm -hmm. on Mm. that, um, and, and preference and stuff. And, um, and also my mom is, is, uh, undergoing some fun oral surgery, uh the week before this week Ooh. before thanksgiving so her ability to enjoy thanksgiving meal is going to be rather limited Aww. um which kind of stinks but i am i am having other adults over um because of that i get to not have to cook everything myself which is nice mm-hmm. but i'm i like to be adventurous with desserts so i'm probably gonna try some new stuff i try new stuff every thanksgiving though probably because it's usually just been like me and my partner and mm-hmm. our kids yeah. Um, so like every Thanksgiving, I do a completely different thing. Okay. Um, we've had a Thanksgiving brunch before. Um, two years ago when we were in Minnesota, we did like this delicious roasted chicken with like, it was like almost like a Southern Thanksgiving where we had like homemade mac and tre- cheese and Johnny cake and like, like, so there were some traditional Thanksgiving meals, but things that maybe not traditional to New England Thanksgivings. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Which so, I think we talked about last year. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm actually, tomorrow I'm going to be making the menu. Um, Ooh, man. Yeah. So I'm going to figure <laughs> out what I want and what the grocery stores have available, because a lot of the grocery stores where I live don't have turkeys left oh, already. No. Uh I think Whatever. Pe- Turkeys for losers. Get something different. Yeah. I normally, <laughs> if I do a turkey, I'm not a big fan of turkey. I always do a ham too, because ham's oh, tasty. I hate ham too. I'm, but um, I'm, 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 you know, I'm hard to please when it comes <laughs> to the meat. But I, I much prefer chicken, but I, mm-hmm. but because I'm cooking Same. for not just myself, I know that everyone else would probably want a nice turkey dinner. So, I don't care so yeah, it, I'm going to but... figure that all out tomorrow. I have no idea. <laughs> I mean, I can probably get you, there's plenty down here. 
Yeah, Jake, that's so Jake, because he works out in your area. He's oh, if right, we can't yeah. find one in a local store in the next couple days, I'm going to have him pick some up down where he works because there's a lot more yeah. grocery stores down there. There's only like two grocery stores for like a four town radius up here. So yeah. and there's a lot uh, like uh, the population up here is like almost doubled since the pandemic because everybody wants to go live in the boonies. Yeah. Uh, all those city people uh, yeah. are going to be. Yep. Not knowing what to do in a couple months. That's yeah, I know. For sure. When the into their entire street doesn't have power because of an ice storm. Yep. Although we'll probably have a really weird warm winter because the earth is on fire. So maybe that won't happen. Yeah. We and then they'll I... be like, I don't know what all the fuss is about. It was easy. <laughs> Accurate. That sounds like a, a pretty good uh, prediction of yeah. the months to come. <laughs> yeah, it really does. It really does. Yeah. How about you, Kate? Um. So... Things, yeah, things are kind of still shaping up for what what it might look like. Um, mm. I was uh, firmly and totally ready to start only celebrating um, like cranberry festival or cranberry harvest or, you know. Oh, yeah, I we won't have about any cranberry year. for for Thanksgiving. My cousin is deathly allergic. Oh, oh no. Like deathly. Wow. If you want to swing by my place and I'll just give you a jar of my homemade cranberry oh, sauce. I mm, <laughs> I like the can. <laughs> the jelly. Right, we talked about this last jelly year. <laughs> yep. Um, Maybe I'll buy a special no, like, can for you and I'll just give it to you like in some back alley and you can I slurp can, it like, down. <laughs> eat it up in the spare bedroom. Like, no, she. So normally we actually do have cranberry stuff, but I always feel really bad about it because it's always like a thing. Like, oh, let's make sure it doesn't get near. Make sure it's on the opposite mm. end of the table. But, and I'm like, how about we just not have yeah, it? Yeah, just don't. It's, yeah. it's a, you can She's definitely have allergic. That. Let's just not have it. Right. Like anyway, sorry, I didn't interrupt. I just really love cranberry sauce. It's so good. Um, yeah, so that was that was my my plan. I just wanted to do that, but now I'm. I think we may be hosting just my in laws, um, which will be really neat. We haven't seen them in a while, so um, we missed my father in law's seventieth birthday. Um, so, and I had had these grand plans to make him lobster bisque for his um oh for, yeah yeah um he and i are the only ones that will eat it so it's like the tiniest amount so it'll be great so i think that i think that the menu may be planned a little bit around that um as kind of like a appetizer kind of situation mm -hmm. but nice. seriously the real reason i i thought of this question was because i saw this um i saw this youtube video i cannot remember who whose it was but it was for dessert and it the dessert was roasted parsnips with like a um with a caramel like a sour cream caramel sauce and like mm. a sour cream sort of base which melissa i thought of you immediately because it totally reminded me of strawberries and sour cream and brown sugar like because it's strawberries romanoff yeah yes, so yes. that's basically what this was except with um Roasted parsnips, which are one of the like most underrated vegetables on the face of the planet. <laughs> no, not a parsnips. fan. Maybe I just haven't had them prepared in a way that I like. But mm. I'm not a huge fan of parsnips and I'm not a huge fan of turnips either. Oh, I don't see. I can't do turnips. I don't dig turnips at all. I feel um, like and I, yeah, at all. I mean, no, I know one's more like carrot like, but yeah, right. Parsnips are kind of like. Kind yeah. of look like carrots a little bit. Parsnips are kind of like, yeah, kind of like 
earthy kerosene carrots. <laughs> like, yeah, they're they're good. And roasted, they get real sweet. And um, so that was really the recipe that I saw that if I was going to be hosting like the normal um, bunch of people that I would usually host, I would never make this because the idea of making caramel sauce from scratch for 20 people makes me yeah. like break out in hives. Um, I I am so like car- like legit caramel sauce freaks me out even though it like the steps of it are simple yeah but the line but it could between go wrong and perfect and <laughs> yeah. burnt yep. is like thirteen seconds <laughs> yeah so yeah it's ter- I'm I'm thinking about making like a caramel apple pie coming up mm. where I'd have to make caramel yeah. and I'm like oh, yeah it sounds so, delicious um yeah that was really the thing and then there's this uh, and then you know just kind of doing something different with the squash or not having mashed potatoes like these are all really appealing to me my husband is in the other room like uh, who says we're not gonna have mashed potatoes um <laughs> you <laughs> but, have to have mashed potatoes yeah, yeah yeah so but yeah that that was that was my thoughts <laughs> So Melissa, very cool. What are we drinking? That's me. <laughs> so as it's like it's all separated because <laughs> it's been sitting oh, here. No. Um, but that's okay. Uh, so tonight um, we are going to be drinking uh, the Brown Derby. So um, I have two kind of little like things to talk about um, with this. Because originally I was looking for like uh, obviously a drink that goes with like corn, and I'm just like I don't I don't know. It's been like corn, um, <laughs> and then so I did I did know that there was corn whiskey, but I wasn't sure what the difference between corn whiskey and bourbon is, which we'll talk about. But anyway, so what the Brown Derby is normally um, made with one and a half ounces of bourbon, um, but instead of bourbon, I have used an all corn whiskey. Um, that's been barrel aged, one ounce of grapefruit juice. And then um, it normally has half ounce of just honey syrup, which is essentially simple syrup, but that you make with honey just to dilute the honey a little bit. And so that it doesn't seize up when you put it in a cold drink, because, you know, honey will get like kind of like gooey and it won't mix yeah. in. Um, but instead of just regular honey syrup, I made rosemary honey syrup. Ooh. Um, which is literally same steps, um, you know, just dissolving the honey and water over heat. And then you just throw some sprigs of rosemary in there and shut the heat off and let it kind of just meld for like 10 minutes and then strain out the rosemary. Um, I hate rosemary. I- wow, strong words <laughs> from Kate. That is, that is. Greg loves it. Yeah. Like I he am- loves rosemary. Nope. Rosemary- I like it. If it's subtle, May, yeah, like maybe it, hate is a strong word, but I feel like it's very floral. Mm-hmm. I feel like never is rosemary not overpowering too forward. Yeah, I just I yeah. feel like it's maybe it's a strong. Yeah, it's strong. I haven't tried this yet. It might be way overpowering. Well, maybe not know. if it's just if it was just sort of steeped in the in the syrup for a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so you take all that stuff, combine it all in a cocktail shaker, shake eight to 10 seconds or however long it takes to get frosty. My ingredients were like a little bit warm. So I shook it for like 25 seconds. My arms are killing me. (laughs) Um, uh, And then strain into a glass over ice. Um, Easy peasy. So yeah, I'm going to try this though. I haven't tried it yet. Like you can definitely smell the rosemary. Yeah. It looks nice. 
It's good. It's not great. It's good. Yeah. I mean, everything else in it sounds amazing. So. Oh, my God. Kitten, stop opening the door. <laughs> he wants to be with you. No, he's that time he was leaving. Oh. <laughs> but I can't close it, close it, because then he'll lose his goddamn mind and he'll try to break the door down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, he'll literally just jump up at the, the doorknob and, like, <laughs> attack it. Um, I don't know if you but, can hear, um, but it's, Sparkle's outside my door right now just grunting. No, I can't hear I it, but I probably will when I edit the episode. <laughs> Um, so it's good. It's very, yeah, the rosemary is extremely subtle. I, I don't know that if you told me, if you didn't tell me it was in there, if I would know. Yeah, you would just think like, there was I a... can taste it knowing it's there. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think the grapefruit I had that I used in this is actually pretty sweet because it's not very bitter. It's actually really good. It's nice. It kind of livens it up. Not I don't know many drinks that use like fresh grapefruit juice. Um, and to have basically a whiskey sour, but with grapefruit juice is Pretty good. I can see this growing on me, which is good because I have like a whole thing of that syrup to use up. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways, um, so I did want to talk about two things. I wanted to talk about the cocktail history because it's kind of fun. And then also kind of what corn whiskey is. So corn whiskey is uniquely American, just like bourbon. Um, And it's made pretty much like any other whiskey where grains are mixed together with water and heated into what's called a mash. And then that mash is distilled. And then that alcohol, depending on what type of alcohol it is, is going to be barrel aged or regular aged. It depends. Um, The difference with corn whiskey is that it has to consist of an 80 percent corn mash. So like where, you know, rye whiskey most of the mash is rye and bourbon. It's required for 50% um, of the mash to be corn, to be corn. So while they're still both corn whiskeys, specifically corn whiskey needs to be 80%. Oh, wow. Um, it also um, can only be dis- distilled to a maximum strength of 80% ABV, which is 160 proof, which is actually pretty. <laughs> wow. Like that'll knock My you word. on your ass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then unlike most American whiskeys, corn whiskey does not need to be barrel aged in wood. Um, But if a distiller does choose to age it, it's done in uncharred oak barrels, which is different from bourbon because bourbon is aged in charred oak barrels. So that imparts kind of a different kind of flavor. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can get corn whiskey um, that is completely clear. And hasn't been distilled in a barrel. And then you can get, which was what I have, corn whiskey that's been barrel aged. So it does take some of those flavors and stuff from the barrels that it was aged in to give it a little bit more depth. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas a clearer one will have more of a like cleaner taste, if okay. that makes sense. So the Brown Derby um, is fun because it was invented in the 1930s at... Um, this club called the Vendome Club. Okay, so there is an accent mark in here, and I don't know, or they're supposed to be. I didn't put it in my notes because I didn't copy it. I just typed it. <laughs> so I, I don't know if it's Vendome. Probably. Vendome Club. It was on Sunset um, Boulevard, and it was owned by Billy Wilkerson, who founded The Hollywood Reporter. Uh-huh. Um, Billy Wilkerson was credited with transforming that, that like, Small stretch is less than two miles long between L.A. and Beverly Hills. Um, And basically is the reason why it turned into a destination for like the rich and famous of Hollywood in the 30s and 40s, which is pretty cool. 
Um, it's so the cocktail itself is named after the famous Los Angeles diner, of course, called the Brown Derby. Um, the diner was frequented by all of Hollywood's top stars and was shaped like a brown derby hat. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm familiar with that. Yeah. Let me see if I can share my screen without absolutely ruining everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can see here, this is a picture of the oh, brown wow. derby. It's literally so shaped cute. like a big, yeah. like a derby hat. Is it still there today? Um, we'll get there. Oh. <laughs> um, so these are some of the stars at the Brown Derby. So um, I believe this is Rita Hayworth and Orson Welles, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm looking at Amy. I'm like, Amy's going to know if I'm correct here. <laughs> I don't. The, it's because I have you off to the side so I can look at the notes, too. So oh, it's, okay. it's yeah, very yeah, yeah. I'm pretty me. I'm pretty confident that it's it's Rita Hayworth. It looks um, like Rita Hayworth. I have a picture the the poster behind me. On the wall, which my microphone is blocking, so you can't mm-hmm. see anything mm-hmm. other than the top inch of oh, it. Oh, yeah, Rita. It just yeah. says, like, yeah. Yeah, but it's supposed to be Rita Hayworth. Um, and then here is Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball meeting some actor whose name I don't remember. Cool. Um, but anyway, so big, famous, one of those places where they, like, put all sorts of, you know, all the celebrities that came autographed things and they put them on the walls and it was a big deal. I also have a picture here of the different kinds of... Um, corn whiskey that you can get and the baby blue here which is the barrel aged which is why it's darker is actually the one that i got nice very cool so i mean that's about it about i mean the drink was just you know invented by you know some bartender at this club and named after the brown derby diner um so there are fun some fun facts about the derby uh the brown derby not the drink the diner Mm -hmm. um clark gable proposed (laughs) to carol lombard there Uh, Marlene Dietrich, I love this one, caused a scandal by showing up at the diner in pants. (gasps) Say it isn't (gasps) so. Not pants. Goodness. (laughs) Um, The Brown Derby location showed up in the 1945 film Mildred Pierce with Joan Crawford tending bar. (laughs) The diner is where Lucy meets actor William Holden in a 1955 episode of I Love Lucy. However... The Brown Derby was a set replica, so it didn't they didn't actually film, which famously uh, I Love Lucy and Lucille Ball kind of made the multi-camera sitcom thing mm-hmm, happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So everything was on sets because they had all these different cameras and stuff that they had to work with. And then a not so fun fact, in September 1980, the restaurant abruptly closed. Preserva- preservationists tried to stop the building from being bulldozed, but failed. By November, the restaurant had been replaced by a parking lot. Oh, no. So it is no longer there. Now, it was a franchise. So I just know that that specific one isn't there anymore, like the original one. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if the, if because there were like a bunch in California. Oh. Um, although they all seem pretty close to each other. I, I assume. But that was the only one that was like actually shaped like a brown derby hat the other ones like you can find pictures online we're just like regular diners called the brown derby Mm -hmm. um i don't know if any of those still still exist um but yeah that's it that's all i got very cool short one this week or this episode i am fucking dying i'm so hot (laughs) amy oh my god start Telling us about your history while I take my clothes off. Uh, thanks for letting all of our listeners know what you're doing, Melissa. I mean, I have a shirt underneath. It says Boo Crew. Boo Crew. <laughs> and they've got chains and stuff on. Nice. Because they're the Boo Crew. I dig it. But tell so, us about corn. Yeah. So we're talking about corn. Uh, and we're talking about corn because so last year we did our Thanksgiving episodes about like the first Thanksgiving. 
Um, and per that episode, like every episode, I'm always like, this could be a whole separate episode, like every five <laughs> minutes. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about corn and how it started as a crop and uh, how it saved white people's asses um, and, and how it became like an essential part of Thanksgiving history. Now, like before I start, I when I was doing my research. There's this woman, um, sometimes I'll read like food blogs because people will share like their personal histories with like whatever, like a recipe or holiday or something. And this one woman, which I didn't realize until like halfway down, she was like a Christian food blogger. Um, But it was like she took the story of Thanksgiving and mashed it with the story of Hanukkah into like one weird like white american christian fable um what was there enough corn to last for eight days so (laughs) the the story that she shared that was like according to her was like just like a widely known thanksgiving tale which i had never heard before so i wanted to ask you guys if you because she made it up i think she made it up (laughs) But <laughs> or her mom did or something. Yeah, it, oh, but it was maybe. that that the original pilgrims were um, the first winter was horrible, obviously, and a lot of a lot of them died. Um, but that they were rationing out the food that they had, and each pilgrim was given a ration of only five corn kernels, <laughs> and that <laughs> and they had to make it last through winter, which like is bonkers to me. <laughs> And Kate's laughing. Um, and like that she I'm just every confused every Thanksgiving, like to honor the pilgrim's sacrifice, she leaves five corn kernels like on the table, like as a symbol. What? Right? Okay, listeners. Wait, what? <laughs> what? Wait. You have to tell because this could very well be a thing. There's some things that are like family traditions that are wacky that just you know you don't necessarily know where they spring from so maybe that maybe this is a thing so if it is a thing i mean it's still dumb but like you would think that if anybody had it as a thing (laughs) it would be us i because my parents like i was raised by like wilds like ex-hippies like i was raised in a world without religion like my 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 like heritage my like my grandparents are catholic but my parents are like no religion in our house no god like so like <laughs> kill god i don't know because of that they like were very specific about the traditions and like the lore and stuff that they introduced to me and my brother so i'm like maybe this is one of those things that i never heard growing up because my parents are these like kind of like fun free living ex hippies i mean my like, mom was kind of a hippie well she wasn't technically old enough to be like a hippie hippie but basically a hippie so. yeah and a witch yeah. So, like, we didn't... That's not a thing. But maybe it is. <laughs> Listeners. <laughs> so she could have actually made five kernels of corn last for an entire winter. Like... <laughs> she wasn't that good of a witch. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. I, so I'm. was there any more of this story, Amy? Because I am really... She just like, and I didn't even what? put the, I should have put the link in my notes so I could, I can probably find it again. And if I can, we'll like post it out on Twitter or something. But she just, she, it was like two sentences in like the five fucking paragraphs that every food <laughs> blogger needs to have before a recipe. Because mm. <laughs> it was about like her favorite corn dish for Thanksgiving. Oh. And the two sentences just were so matter of fact, like it was like 
Like everything that like something that every family knew, like they must all celebrate the same thing. It was like, as we all know, like and then like <laughs> talked about the five kernels. I'm like, I've never fucking heard this before. No, no. OK, no. Nope. So cool. I'm not I, alone. Yeah, then. No, I want to know like if <laughs> if like that's a thing. Yeah, I want to know. So, if I mean, we have like too. three listeners. I can so, probably name them. But <laughs> listeners, if it's a thing for you, if it's a thing yeah. you've heard before, please let us, know. let us know. Comment on like the Instagram post when I post this episode. Comment on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Freaking please, because this is hilarious and yeah. I want to know about it. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was just my quick question before I got into like the history of corn. Um, so there's there's actually like a lot of debate about when corn was first um, produced as like an agricultural like produce, like on purpose, as opposed to just like finding maize and gathering it. Um, but a lot of historians guess about 9000 years ago is when people started growing corn intentionally. And of course, back then it wasn't called corn. Um, the first crops of it were discovered in central Mexico and it was a type of wild grass um, that had like a very specific um, DNA structure. Um, and the kernels are very different than they are today. So like it was not an ear of corn. They're all spread out. They're widely spaced. Um, and what happened is like people started growing this and then they moved and migrated and this crop spread and changed and evolved over time. Um, and the, th- the cool thing about early agriculture is that like farmers would pick like the best, like, um, you know, version of that plant. So they'd grow like 50 of them and then like like five of them would produce really well. And they would take those five to then take mm-hmm. the seeds from and propagate. So it kind of mm. like it like sped up the evolutionary process to humans favor so that we could select food that would produce the highest yield. And that changes crops over time. Mm-hmm. So this process all started about 9,000 years ago. And then 5,000 years ago, all of these indigenous cultures from central Me- Mexico started to migrate north and east to northern parts of North America. So as far north as where we are in modern day New England. Do, and they brought th- corn with them. This might take you off base and it's probably a <laughs> stupid question. Now, it's not going to be funny. It's a legitimate question. Do we know why that migration started? Yeah. So... Um, at this point in history, and even today, the indigenous cultures that lived in this region, they were agricultural, but only seasonally. So unlike in European settlements or European areas where there is early agriculture, the settlers there would like stay for the whole year. So they would find a place and become sedentary settlements, what they're called. And they'd plant a crop, they'd see it through the season, and then they would save enough to like winter through. But in Central and South America, they didn't do that because they realized that there was like good hunting over here and good fishing over there and there was good gathering over here. So they'd stay in one place long enough to produce one crop and then they'd move to the next place for a good hunting or good fishing grounds. So that way they were always close to like a really good accessible food source. So a lot of that migration happens like more regionally from people moving like seasonally. But then um, tribes would like break down into like smaller groups. Um, They'd branch off because just because of growing population. So that's when you start getting people moving further and further and further out. So there's this question about like how this plant evolved from the original grain to modern corn. And originally historians and food scientists 
thought that like in Mexico it would be it had become like fully domesticated and then like once they like perfected the plant that's when people started traveling with it but actually the real history is like a little bit messier so there is this like constant ebb and flow of like people trying to like I said kind of like pick the best plants to produce for the next season but then also like it getting cross-pollinated with wild versions of the grain and all sorts of stuff. And so like there's this constant back and forth and it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of years for it to evolve to what's modern day corn. And this is happening simultaneously in lots of different areas of the world too, which is super cool. So it's not like this is all happening in central Mexico and then it traveled out. It's happening in central Mexico. It's happening in Peru. It's happening in the Amazon yeah. all throughout central and South America. Yeah. I mean, that's that thing where like different, you know, different um, people on opposite sides of the world basically invent the same thing at the same time, right? Right, like, like pyramids. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which we talked about. Another, and I was still blown away that almost every culture had pyramids except for shitty white ones. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, technically shitty white ones, like Celtic, they still had like earth mounds. They just weren't as impressive. It was like a big pile of right. dirt as opposed to like... hey. hey. New Hampshire has America's Stonehenge, all right? Mm. All right? <laughs> it's really impressive, guys. Yes. You haven't seen it. It's especially impressive when you consider the fact that in, like, the 1800s, some white dude went and was like, eh, all these, like, historic stone structures aren't where they should be. I'm going to move shit. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. The American Stonehenge sidebar. What? <laughs> Yeah, one of the the like early discoverers that found Stonehenge, he was like, "Oh, this place is in ruins. Like things aren't where they should be." So he just started moving shit around so that it fit his narrative in his head of what it should be. Yeah. So what it is isn't that even tracks. as impressive as what it is. No, nope. because it was okay. Cool. Yeah. So he did. He found a. I'm cool just gonna. Story. I'm just gonna go to Easter Island and bury be like, yourself <laughs> with the heads. <laughs> This is some bullshit. They did not do yep. this right. I'm just going to paint paint stuff. <laughs> yeah, and really spruce it up. Bring Everything in some needs doilies. a mustache. <laughs> that would be really funny. But that's what white people are good at. Because no, we go someplace, true. we find something beautiful and majestic and mysterious, and we're like, we must make it ours. Mm. We must correct it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we're Catholic. We're fun, corn. too. Yeah. <laughs> So so as corn is evolving, they like I said, it's moving and evolving in different ways in all these different parts of Central and Southern um, Americas, too, which is really cool. So there is a study in 2016 that looked at the DNA of over 100 varieties of modern maize. And they looked at uh, they had like 11 samples of like ancient plants so that they found through archaeological digs and stuff. And they figured out like how this happened. And the funny thing is is that one of the scientists didn't figure all this shit out about the fact that it kept evolving as it was like simultaneously in all these different parts of the world. He didn't figure this out until this white guy was presenting his work in um, South America. And one of the PhD students who was sitting in his lecture was like, hey, the map that you showed of like the similarities in the DNA structure matches a map, like because they were a linguistics major, matches a map that I have of like the word the evolution of the word maze um and all of these different cultures so like the word changed along with the dna structure of the word and or, uh, the dna structure of the corn so as they like 
married, ma- married those two things together, they figured out that it was like evolving simultaneously because he couldn't figure out for the life of him. He was like, he had this narrative in his head. It was like it was it became corn in Mexico and then it moved. Mm-hmm. Mm. And that was all proven wrong when he exposed himself to a new culture and way of thinking. <laughs> Funny how that how happens. That um, so as this protocorn is like moving around Central and South America too, there are early versions, like I said, that made it with its way all the way to the Amazon. And in the Amazon too, like the indigenous cultures down there were already cultivating squash and rice and all these different grains and vegetables. Um, and they had these really advanced agricultural systems, too. So and that's part of the reason why, like when the conquistadors and European settlers came over, they found these like really huge um, like populations, like these cities, essentially, because they had these really advanced agricultural systems. So unlike cities over in Europe, which would import foods from agricultural areas, these cities found a way to coexist with nature and build the agriculture into the way that they like built the city. So corn was this essential piece to like exploding the population of indigenous cultures and like helping along um, like agricultural evolutionary practices, too. So by the time 1492 comes along and Columbus, quote unquote, discovers bullshit. um, (laughs) Yeah. Also doesn't set foot anywhere near the United States. Right. I know it discovers America, but. Right. Considering how many fucking statues are in the United States. I know. You'd think that. I know. He was the first president of the United States. You can blame my Italian ancestors for that. Mm. (laughs) It was it was a bone like the whole like Christopher Columbus love is like is derived from a lot of like the fact that Italian Americans are treated pretty shitty when they first became Italian Americans and not just Italians. And like, it was a concession, a political mm-hmm. concession in the fifties. It's a whole thing. But anyways, yeah. So Columbus comes here, not to the United States, but to uh, Central America and he finds corn and corn. he sees it's like this huge source of food and he brings it back with him to Europe and it becomes what's called a garden curiosity. So at this period in time, there's all these like crops. It was like a, like a hobby for rich people where they would like, (laughs) they would colonize shit. Right. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then they'd pay the, the conquerors to bring crops back, not for them to like learn anything from it or like see if they could eat it, but to put it in like an ornamental garden where they were just like, look at all the diverse plants Look I how have. Look weird. at my, my menagerie. <laughs> look what the savages gave us. Right. Right. So it was just something for rich people to collect. So corn. Like uh, Egyptian artifacts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so corn makes its way to Europe in the late 1400s, early 1500s. And but it's not something that people eat in Europe. It's just something that people look at and go, ooh, look at this. Like, ooh, look how rich and wealthy uh... I am. Yes. So by the time 1620 comes around, when we have pilgrims coming to the uh, quote unquote new world, um, corn is a really well-established crop in North America. And the um, uh, when fucking Christ. I practice saying this, too. Oh, (laughs) no. Every time I practice saying shit that I just stop dead. (laughs) It doesn't matter. You shouldn't even practice. (laughs) Why? No, I shouldn't. Uh, Wampanoag. 
Does that yep. sound right? Yep. Okay. That sounds right. Yeah. Okay, cool. The Wampanoag, the, which means in English, people of the first light. Um, they had already been living in the region for over a thousand years and their ancestors had brought corn with them. Um, and corn was a staple crop. There's oral history stories about how it's a gift from the creator. And they believed that corn was of divine origin, which like fucking Christ, if you have a crop that can feed all of your people, that can you, you can use is versatile. You can make into flour. You can eat mm-hmm. fresh. Mm-hmm. You can preserve. and You can you feed to your the winter. You can feed to your livestock. Yes, you can feed to your livestock. Like all of that is mm-hmm. amazing, of course. Like, so they used corn, like they would eat it off the cob. They would use it to make flour and all these different things. They'd save seeds for future crops. So like corn is a really well-established crop. And uh, the indigenous people that are using it, they had been here in the region for over a thousand years already. So it's not like they're like newcomers too. like they know what they're doing. They know how to farm, how to hunt, how to fish the lands that they're in. And the, the Mayflower, when it lands in Cape Cod, um, the pilgrims didn't know what the fuck they're doing. So like, which we talked about last year a little bit during our Thanksgiving episode, but they had missed like planting time. They uh, so they got here and it was like too late to plant crops yeah. to like make it through the winter. And most of the pilgrims had been city dwellers, so they had never fucking planted anything in their lives mm-hmm. anyways. So if they had planted shit, probably wouldn't have amounted to much. And all of the food that they had brought with them were crops that were native to England, which has a very different climate than New England. What crops are even native to England? It's a well, rock. Like potatoes. <laughs> potatoes. Potatoes aren't, I don't, potatoes aren't native, though. I think it was just the only thing that would grow in Ireland. Mm. I don't mm. think they're native. I don't we know could what do a potatoes whole, are native to. Yeah, I don't know. We could do a whole episode on that. That will be a whole episode. Put it in your Word document, Amy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think it's already on the list. So they had, like, if they had ever grown anything in their lives, it was like a small backyard garden. Um, they were used to just being able to, like, pop over to the market to get their stuff. Because, like I said, European cities, they were used to, like, going out to agricultural areas and bringing in fresh produce to markets. And then the city dwellers would buy stuff. So, like, it's not like indigenous cultures and in what is modern day United States where, like, they had, like, these rich like metropolitan centers that also were agricultural centers that didn't exist in Europe. So the pilgrims, they go foraging for food because they're fucking desperate and hungry and they find something which will be called Corn Hill. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Corn Hill. No. So they're on a scouting expedition and um, Lord William Bradford wrote um, uh, of Plymouth, of Plymouth Plantation, which is like a recording of the the Pilgrim's journeys. Mm-hmm. And he wrote that they found this mound and he said, which they digging up found in them divers fair Indian baskets filled with corn and some in ears fair and good of diverse colors, which seemed to them very good sight, having never seen any such before. And they essentially fucking steal the food that they find. Right. Like the food wasn't just like... <laughs> That's someone's food. Yeah, that's someone's food. So they were like, okay, we don't know how we're going to live. Right. Uh, sure. We're all going mean, to starve to death. You don't know how you're going to survive. So. Right. Sure. So so they take the corn. They take the corn of from course. corn and they name cool, it cool, Corn cool, Hill. Cool, cool, cool. They magic. Find... It's magic it's... Corn Hill. It just mm-hmm, produces mm-hmm. corn already in baskets. <laughs> yep. And then they like in the um, of Plymouth Plantation, Bradford says, like, with the intention to f- to compensate its owners in the future. So, like, they knew, like, it probably belonged to somebody, but we'll right. figure that shit out later. I mean, if they were starving. Yeah. 
Yeah, but, but then, then you're like, going to leave the people who put it there to starve. No, so I agree, cool. but yeah. I'm saying when you're you're in survival mode, you're sure, probably sure. even I mean these were already fucking pilgrims who are the worst. Yes. So like everybody fucking hated them. Like just to reiterate from our Thanksgiving episode, everybody hated the pilgrims. The the um royal decree that like enabled them to sail to uh what is modern day United States like they were just like get the fuck out of england we hate <laughs> yeah. you yeah no we're, they were Done the worst with you bt dubs you suck yeah. Yeah. gtfo that's how they got a royal charter to to get yes. fucking ships it's yeah, so they're already shitty them. and then add on top of that the fact that they are not equipped to be in this new land and they don't no. have any food so yeah no, they're gonna no. steal the food yeah yeah, so they steal the food. That tracks. Um, and then those seeds that the pilgrims steal and the ears of corn that they steal, they create what's modern day known as northern flint corn. So it's like a very specific breed of corn. It has eight rows of kernels. It has lots of colors. Um, and this corn um, is also the corn that, as legend tells us, Squanto taught them how to plant in the spring. <laughs> Have you guys ever heard of that? Thanksgiving yeah. legend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so because of this corn, they're able to make it through their first winter. And because mm-hmm. of the help of Squanto, um, they're able to learn how to actually plant the corn, which there's like this really amazing, intricate, like agricultural system that these people had come up with, which is they like bury a fish in the ground to act as fertilizer. And then they put the corn on top of it and then the seeds sprout the fish carcass like fertilizes the plant as it grows. And as the corn stop comes up, the indigenous people are like, hey, like, let's use that to our advantage. And they planted beans around the base of the corn stalk. And then the bean vines would grow up Climate. the corn stalk yep. so that you have like this whole intricate, like, like coexisting system of agriculture where they're getting multiple crops out of one really small area of land. And this method is called the three sisters method. And it's way better than anything that Europeans had for agriculture. Like Europeans, like I said, they had like these sedentary settlements. They planted a crop, they'd see it through, they'd they'd, like ration it and preserve it for somehow for the winter months. But they were like, they were row croppers. Like it was like very methodical and organized. And like there are these intricate systems of fertilization and of um, irrigation that the indigenous people were using. And they taught all of this to the early pilgrims. And corn not only, like I said, sought them through winter months, but also taught them how to grow and feed themselves for years to come. So this agricultural expertise saved their lives. And because of this, they get the European settlers get introduced to things like crop diversity mm. and soil regeneration and all of these other ideas which make us come back, which we talked about during our uh, George Washington Carver episode. But like European farmers had never done any of these things before. Like they just hilarious to me. They were just completely like ripping all the nutrients out of the soil. And yeah, they were just, just like stripping well, it clean. Yep. Land's bad. Yep. yep. <laughs> the land has been blighted. Don't know yeah. what that's about. Let's move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So so they learn all these things. And then the um, settlers go around and they um, 
start producing more food and more corn than what they need. And at this point, they figure out that they can trade the corn. So at this point, corn is no longer just like this vanity crop that doesn't mean its way to Europe as like enriched people's gardens to be like, look at my menagerie of plant items. <laughs> mm-hmm. They like are now growing it for sustenance and they're shipping because corn keeps really well. So they're shipping it back to England as food. And then they would also sell it to the indigenous people in the area and trade it for furs. And then they mm-hmm. would send the furs back to England and Europe as well, too. And so they create this whole trade system around it. And they're able to import things from England because of it, like oils and sugars and things that like you can't get locally, naturally in the northeastern part of North America. Mm-hmm. So they create a whole economy around it. And the thing that's really fucked up <laughs> is that... <laughs> Corn saves their asses and saves their lives and enables them not just to, like, survive, but to fucking thrive as a people and as a settlement. And then they go around and as a way to dehumanize, maybe not them, but their descendants, but as a way to dehumanize the indigenous people in the area, they point to their agricultural superiority as a as proof that the indigenous cultures didn't know what the fuck they were doing oh and they're like God. akin to animals. <laughs> Why are white people so terrible? I don't know. Like it's in our DNA or some mm-hmm. shit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we had this conversation. Yeah, we had text. a very long. I, I yeah. I don't. Yeah, you know, I don't like that because I think I it gives people an excuse to not change. Like, That's oh, it's true. just who we are. Like. This is the hierarchy of things. This is how it's supposed to be. White people are just shitty. And like, no, we have choice. I we mean, do. obviously, yeah. education and, yeah, you know, learning from other cultures and stuff is a big part of it. Because, I mean, I'm, they genuinely believed, I'm sure, that they thought that they were in the right and that this was the truth. Because <laughs> they didn't learn from their descendants the true history of what happened right 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 right. so they're being told that if they leave find five corn kernels out on the counter then (laughs) next year um these are the five corn kernels that have been rationed (laughs) they'll be they'll be blessed with a good harvest or some that's the new uh that's the new keto diet (laughs) you can't eat corn though you can't eat corn on keto It's yeah. the no, I know that's what I'm saying. It's the pilgrim diet. Oh, the all winter diet. we're only allowed five kernels. Or it's yes. like the diet that's based off of the Bible that what's his face follows. The guy what? from Jurassic Park. Oh, paleo? Yeah, no, that's like oh. the Book of Mark diet or something. It's like literally oh, based about off of Chris the Bible. Pratt. Yeah. We're not gonna mm. <laughs> But it's Break like just heart, based off of you? like yeah, colonizer revisionist history. Like that's what the diet yeah. is, just colonist revisionist history. Yeah, well, very similar to the paleo diet, too. Let's yeah. eat what they ate in prehistoric times. You know they died at, like, 12. Yeah, that's not that's not a smart move. Like, but anyway, well, we're going to get, if we have any listeners, we're going to get in trouble for this one. But anyways, <laughs> so that's really shitty. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So that's how corn saved white people and then uh, enabled white people to be shitty yet again. Cool. Cool. Welcome cool. to history. <laughs> wow. Thanks. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Well, we actually, God, we made good time. Good time, ladies. Good time. Good time. So I was gonna. Yeah. No, we're gonna. We're gonna end. We're gonna, so, we're gonna end on a on a. We're trying. Really cool. We're, good note. We're trying to uh, end like adults. 
on this show, all right? We really struggle with this. We have one minute. (laughs) (laughs) I think we had like four minutes before we started, actually. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're making really good on time. I so do let's have not one, ruin it. I do have one question about oh, okay. original, like the, the, would you say that corn in its prehistoric form, like would have looked more like a stalk of wheat? Is that kind of when you, when you think of kind yes. of, because it's all the same um, species or. Oh, so like. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I yeah. was picturing like really like. <laughs> Fanned out. I was like, my brain was not not comprehending what you could possibly be talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I couldn't find any like pictures or diagrams to show you because I would have. That's weird. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know. I think like there were a lot of diagrams of the DNA structure. And I was like, this isn't going to help them. So no. like, but yeah, it's it, the way it was described is like kind of like a stalk of wheat. So and then like as they were like um, versions of the plant where like the kernels or kernels were like more tightly clustered together and they were really hard. Like there was like a yeah. seed, like a like a crunchy seed. Right. Right. So like as they started getting like closer together, they'd take that plant and only like read only plant seeds from that plant. Well, I bet. And, yeah, because I bet at the beginning it had a hull. Like I bet just like, right. you know, even a corn kernel now still has a. a you know, the casing on the outside, it's just edible. Right. Um, because it's all the same. It Corn is is in the grass family. So like if you let a stalk of regular grass go to seed, the end of it is a tiny little, it looks like wheat, right? Like a yep. tiny little wheat bit. So it makes sense. That's interesting. Kate here with this this agricultural knowledge. <laughs> Love it. This plant knowledge. Yeah, I'm here for dropping it. it. <laughs> wow. We're going to give her our own segment where she just talks about the anatomy of plants. Ooh, yes. I would totally do that. New podcast. That's what we need. <laughs> the anatomy did... of plants and fashion in politics. It's perfect. <laughs> All in I one did... podcast. Yeah. I did want to say before we ended, just the book that I was talking about at the beginning was called The Book on Pie. Everything you need to know to bake perfect pies, and it's by Erin Jean McDowell. Awesome. Nice. She's done a bunch of videos on YouTube for like Food Fifty Two and stuff, where she goes through like the basics. Oh, I wonder of if that's the lady. I just followed a, a like a pie lady. I wonder if it's who I just followed on yeah, the Food Fifty Two. She's great. Um, her videos are really like welcoming and like I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. They're like not Warm. patronizing or whatever. Yeah, no. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. She's just like, hey, you mess it up, it's fine. You know, like, <laughs> you can always fix and it. She, and she has a cute dog. So, oh, I haven't seen the dog. Yeah. He's on the back of the uh, cookbook. No. He's real cute. But anyways, thank you everyone for listening. And yeah, we'll thanks. catch you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> so bad at it. <laughs> oh, we wait for you. <laughs> thank you for listening to Drunk Dish. For recipes and more, please visit DrunkDish.com. If you like what you hear, subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Apple Music. You can also follow us on Twitter at Drunk Dish Pod and Instagram at Drunk Dish. And again, thanks for listening.